Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. When something paranormal knocks on your door, why does it always seem to be three knocks? Can entities live in our bodies, then pass into someone else? Yuck. Who is the Slender Man? Hello and welcome to the 713th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 Radio, celebrating 70 years of broadcasting here in New England's Blackstone River Valley. And uh, I am Ben, and those questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and father, Paul. Today we bring you an open line show to try to answer any and all paranormal questions you have submitted. And we welcome your calls as well. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Or if you'd like to send an email, it's paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And also today, uh, we have our popular guest co-host, Shane Searway. Shane? Shane, Shane. Shane, <laughs> he is very welcome to, <laughs> welcome to uh, your home away from home. Great to be back on this lovely day. Uh, yes, it is actually a rather lovely day here in, in uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. So let us get started with the questions. Yes, yeah, so here in Behind the Paranormal Land. Indeed. So let us begin with Chris from Portsmouth, uh, New Hampshire, writes to us. Saw some great uh, e- event up here in New Hampshire. Just happened uh, 10 minutes ago uh, last, last Sunday, which was October 15th. Uh, five objects moving from southwest to northeast. Uh, they weren't coming through the atmosphere like a comet or asteroid. They were all moving independently, all moving like a flock of birds, but you can't see birds at night. Uh, they were uh, we- weaving around each other, but like a flock, at 7.15 p.m. Uh, they were really moving like UFOs do. Well, let me, I'm going to let you take that, Shane, because you uh, are the one of the um, UFO honchos in New Hampshire. However, this is what... The, you can see birds at night if there was light shining on them from beneath. Um, I was uh, young once, believe it or not, and uh, there was uh, living in East Hartford, Connecticut, and there was a uh, on the other side of the railroad tracks from where we lived. There was a large billboard with lights shining up into the sky, and there were nighthawks, common nighthawks, flying uh, over the lights, looking for insects. Uh, so birds will fly around lights, and you could, and from my house, they look just like UFOs. I actually walked all the way down there to the town to find out what it was, and it was the, these birds. So um, if there were lights shining on them from below, it's possible they could. But I th- I'm, I'm, uh, Chris is someone who, whom we know uh, not well, but he comes to many of our events, and he does not seem like the sort of person, uh, I believe he's a veteran, is not, not the sort of person who would mistake a bird for something else. Uh, so I, I think that might not be a problem. But th- I'm just pointing that out, that at times you can't see birds at night. Shane, what say you? Yeah, I mean, I... Just last time I was here, we talked about the three discs I saw uh, last September. Also, the the big UFO that was spotted in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, that was absolutely massive. But um, kind of what to what he's describing, um, I saw the same thing while out in a boat night fishing with with a friend of mine. When I I kind of bent my head back to stretch, you know, because we were sitting in the boat for like hours and hours, and um, and I noticed something moving across the sky, like really high, um, but. I could see it clearly, um, and I just, just said, oh, well, it's it's got to be a satellite or something like that. Next thing I'm going to know, two are coming from different directions. They all it go, they go right towards that, the one I saw ri- originally. Initially, they become one, 
and then they split off again going in opposite directions and they would make complete you know changes of direction 90 degrees or even stop and go back the other way so I don't I don't believe they were satellites at all but there were as many as five that we spotted in the sky at one time the guy I was with would after he he saw it I said you got to look up and and check this out and once he saw what he saw, he would not look back up in the sky. <laughs> he, says, hmm. he goes, I don't want to know. I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to catch fish, and that's it. Because <laughs> he wasn't one of us. So. It, yeah, right, it really yeah. freaked him out. But then we noticed um, one just above the tree line that was closer to, to us. It was really bright. It was bigger than the brightest star. Um, and it it just slowly got lower and lower till it was right, sitting right on top of the trees. And it just stayed there for hours. And then all of a sudden, I noticed it was gone, you know. Huh. Um, that was that was quite a few years ago, um, and that was in the area of Wilton that you went with, oh, sure. with me yeah. one time, um, and uh, actually it, quite a quite a few times up in up in that direction, I've seen these the same events, and it sounds like what he's describing. Um, and then I had during the day the last September where I saw those three, um, but they were all identical in size, silver shiny. It was it was five o'clock, sunny out, blue skies. Um, and they were re- reflecting the light of the sun, you know. So um, that was during the during the day, but nonetheless, they were. I saw them, and they were in New Hampshire, just like Chris. Um, and then we had that massive one, um, yeah, which I, was reported to me by plenty of people, twenty to thirty people that didn't even know one another. Well, of course, your your area, uh, southern New Hampshire, particularly near the seacoast, is rife. With UFO sighting, not only sightings, but experiences, uh, since really the 1940s. Mm. Uh, the 1961 case with Betty and Barney Hill took place there. Uh, was a little bit farther north, though, in the Franconia Notch area, but they were from the Exeter area. Uh, we are there every year at the Exeter UFO Festival, which commemorates the incident at Exeter, which took place. It's just, it's just, there's nothing but UFOs all over the place up there. And you, without asking for it, have seen a number yourself. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind from Chris's description here is a, a photograph that was taken by someone we happen to trust in eastern Connecticut just last year. And the UFO, uh, a, bunch, a bunch of lights were moving in tandem in a f- rather funny configuration from south uh, from uh, northeast to southwest just the opposite of the one chris describes so uh, we have a photograph of that one and uh, all we can ask is just people you know keep your cameras or, or your phones ready and just try and get shots of these things uh not always easy but that that's what we would ask but uh, thank you chris for for sending that uh, very interesting incident in we hope to see you at uh What's left of our speaking season here? I don't know if you guys heard about this, and, and I don't have the exact uh, details, but it's so um, if I overshoot the number a little bit, but based on what I remember, back in like 2015, MIT created a, a camera that's supposed to take like, I don't know, it was some crazy number, like a billion or a trillion uh, shots per second. Yes. Yes, right? Why aren't we aiming those towards the sky? That's what, that's what I'm thinking, you know? Well, maybe we are. Yeah. You know, they're not gonna, like they're going to tell us, you know. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm thinking, too, of Mark D'Antonio, and, and we were all together in Danbury, Connecticut, last uh, <clears throat> last week for the uh, Western Connecticut UFO Conference. Shane spoke there. We, we spoke there. And uh, Mark, Mark didn't speak. Uh, Mark uh, is losing here and came just by just to be, just to see us. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, he is uh, a bona fide astronomer who works with us on some cases, and he is uh, the Mutual UFO Network's uh, national uh, analyst of video and photos uh, th- that are submitted to MUFON. So um, he ha- not only has his own observatory in his yard, that does a wonderful podcast, mm-hmm. uh, however, he, he also is working with a number of interesting folks, uh, including a major movie director, on a, a project to literally photograph UFOs with a very, very sophisticated camera. Mm. And uh, I think once <clears throat> that progresses uh, further, we're going to have Mark on the show and uh, talk about that. Uh, maybe while we're the three of us are here, I think. And that you too. You too, exactly. Yes, yeah. with Douglas Trumbull and um, exactly. You're a name drop. Yeah, this is this is uh, why well, I want to give him credit because uh, sure. I'm excited about this. That's great. Um, this is something I would invest in, other than you know, I would. Not not this. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tom Dong's new announcement and all that other stuff. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the money that he's raising. I would not invest in in um, that initiative, but uh, the UFO talk, I definitely would. I'm excited yeah. about that one. Yeah. Anything, anything Mark? I mean, you stick with Mark D'Antonio, you can't go wrong as far as. That. Oh yeah. Absolutely. We don't know Doug Trumbull, but he's got a terrific reputation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we'll uh, keep you posted on that, folks. So what do we have next there, Ben? Well, I'm I'm going to skip this next question, and move on to the the third one because this sort of fits in with what we were talking about. Uh, this is from uh, Tasha from Columbia, Maryland, and uh, she writes to us, I know what you guys uh, think about disclosure, that we can't trust it, uh, and that the government is trying to turn paranormal forces into weapons and does not want us to know about it. But is there any truth to the idea that movies uh, and TV shows are preparing us for the idea of some kind of disclosure, even if it is not the whole truth? Well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start that off um, being... Being someone who who enjoys film and media and and stuff, I think I think that there's there's the only evidence we have of of anything to that that respect is you know uh, um, some circumstantial evidence. But a guy who worked worked for the Pentagon said he was like a like a high ranking member of the military, and he was like, yeah, I, I worked with directors and stuff. And, you know, we made movies like E. T. and all this stuff, and you know, we we signed off on it. We're like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna slowly leak out the idea of aliens to people, and you know, I I don't think I don't think that's um, I, I don't think that's enough for me to really believe that. Besides, like, what what would even be the purpose of that ra- rather than you know some sort of I I, w- I would think that it would be more profitable <clears throat> to keep ignorance about things. I think it would, it would make more sense. To make people think less about it by, you know, putting false things out there, you know, the aliens are from far away or whatever, and that the only thing that, you know, even remotely comes close to anything we've found to be, you know, true in, in the in the paranormal sense would be Stranger Things, because that's that deals more with parallel worlds and universes and, and stuff like that that are interacting with each other, although not multiple ones, but, you know, talks about a parallel universe in which this you know, parasitic entity lives and, you know, hunts the people of the town. There we go. That makes a lot more sense than, you know, E.T. Is that or... what that's about? Oh, yeah, you never finished it, did you? I find it boring. You don't... I don't know why. I'm the only person on Earth, however... Because sorry, it's slow. Thinking. It takes, you know, the, the approach of, like, a 1950s monster movie where, like, the first hour and a half is, like, exposition, and then the last 15 minutes you see the monster. Okay. So that's that's you know that that follows so. it follows the same vein. It's about the story and the character development. Although there wasn't much character development in 1950s monster movies, it was you know pretty two dimensional. But you're you're getting me off the subject. Um, <laughs> so 
So essentially, what we're what I'm I'm attempting to say is, it's I don't think it's it's worthwhile for the government to even attempt, or if it is the government, to even attempt to disclose anything through um, movies or media because I think it makes more sense to just keep people in the dark. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that too. Um, <clears throat> but I just had a correspondence this morning with with somebody um, who uh, used to work with Edgar Mitchell, um, who also um, worked yeah. Apollo seventeen astronaut. Yeah, yeah, walked who, on the moon. So he spent a lot of time. This gentleman I was speaking to this morning, um, and he spent a lot of time at Edgar Mitchell's house, and also um, who knew all these people that. Tom DeLonge's team, these guys are supposed to know everything, and, mm-hmm. and that's why he, he compiled this, you know, put this team together. But um, this guy said that Edgar Mitchell said that these officials who who he knew when he was alive um, really don't know much about the phenomenon and what's actually happening. You know, like the that's mechan- my information too. Yeah, the yeah. mechanics of what's going on. So, I mean, I think they. I think they 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 do know some things that you know they're not putting out there, but um, they they don't have a clear understanding whatsoever, um, is what what I'm being told. Um, well, is is we were all in the, well, you had to leave, but we were in the panel discussion <coughs> at the UFO conference in Danbury last week, and this came up, and uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who uh, we love dearly, she's a, the occasional co-host of the show, but we can uh, never agree on what day it is. Well, we can agree on that. That's about it. But yeah. we, and we agree that we're great friends. You know, so, and um, yeah, I wrote the forward for her her last book with John Zaffis and all this business. So, so we're we're, uh, we're great friends. However, we don't agree uh, on this either in the sense of disclosure. And and uh, Rosemary Wright may very well be right that uh, these that she she said this these uh, movies and TV shows are, are gradually uh, re- releasing information. Um, it, and as I say, it may be true, but I don't think that's true myself. Um, as I said on the panel, I, I'm sort of a uh, disclosure skeptic. Now, we've had Steve Bassett on the show, who was the, probably the leading advocate for disclosure. He's worked with members of Congress, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, but Steve, uh, I think uh, he's very respected. We respect him a lot. But I think there's, there's, a, there's a, a current of the naive in here. That, uh, first of all, if there is disclosure, if the government does say what it does about UFOs, people assume that that's going to be true. And as I asked the audience, when's the last time you believed anything the government said? You know, and everybody, uh, hmm, you know. So <laughs> it's uh, a question that, that has to be considered. Uh, whether they're, now that they have worked, the, being the government, has worked with Hollywood many times in the past, particularly in wartime. Uh, Walt Disney essentially dropped, um, what, what's the, uh, Wind in the Willows, that cartoon, it's not oh, one of yeah. his prominent movies, right in the middle of one of the cartoonists painting the frame for Mr. Toad. And they went uh, to making war films, instructional films for the military and, and other war films uh, that were of um, benefit to the war effort at home. And uh, after the war ended, the same cartoonist went back to the same frame and started painting Mr. Toad again, and they, they picked that up. So that came out, I think, in 46 or 47. So uh, Disney and others have worked with the military. However... Um, it seems to be these days there's no love lost between the military and the government. Um, I should should say the, uh, the Hollywood and the government. Um, so whether they're actually trying to release anything or close encounters with uh, close encounters 
was based on Spielberg's own information, because as I understand, I don't know him, but he's, he's interested in uh, the, the paranormal in general and UFOs in particular, and he, he actually used UFO incidents, real incidents, in the film Close Encounters, such as the, the uh, believe it or not, the car chase uh, by the, the police of the UFOs in the beginning. That actually happened uh, in some form in, in, I believe it was Indiana and Ohio, just mm. where it says in the film. Uh, there are cameos by people like J. Allen Hynek, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, at the end, at the Devil's Tower section. A lot of people don't realize this. He was the, the leading, he was a U, he worked for the Air Force and he was a UFO debunker and then as he studied it, he became a UFO believer. A very, very respected, uh, uh, astrophysicist. So, he makes, he's the guy with the pipe in one of those last scenes. So, there are all kinds of in-jokes that Spielberg put in there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but I think that was more Spielberg's interest than it was the government pulling strings to get him to release information. Because supposedly the whole uh, final scene there at Devil's Tower was uh, something that had occurred uh, supposedly with real Air Force personnel, real alien craft landing by intention uh, at um, Holloman Air Force Base, and in, in you know years before then, the 19, late 1960s. So, but again, this is all. You can't prove this, and uh, I, I don't think I think you, you can't give the government too much uh, ability, uh, too much credit for organizing things. Uh, you know, having served in the military myself, uh, everybody does the best they can. You have some fabulous people in there working, but to organize interdepartmental stuff can be very difficult. Uh, I mean, in the Coast Guard, we went through all sorts of, of lengthy uh, exercises and a certain amount of reorganization on the command level to do uh, what we, we called MARDES exercises, Maritime Defense Zones, where we were working with the Navy and with the, the respective National Guards of different states just to get organized for a port defense, in the, uh, and which today is very useful because of uh, the terrorist threat. So, And I'm talking I'm back in the 80s here with this. So um, it is very difficult to organize anything. And I, another thing I said at the, on the panel was you really can't underestimate the corporate Factor in the whole UFO question. There's a lot of money to be made by taking or, or mastering uh, what may be considered alien technology. Supposedly, a lot of that was done after Roswell. The whole Colonel Philip Corso book, uh, the day after Roswell, had to do with his claim, and he was a legit, he was a colonel, and he did work at the Pentagon. That his job was to take Roswell technology, things that have been discovered, like Velcro, believe it or not, things like that, and, inter- and, f- and seed it, feed it into the U.S. industrial economy for the benefit of the country, obviously. Thanks, so, UFOs for Skechers. Yeah, I mean, who, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe it's, it's probably true. Who, you know, I don't know otherwise. But I think there are all sorts of factors that we don't consider it with disclosure, and uh, would disclosure in any honest or complete sense be of benefit to those who are trying to make the money? Because when you get down to what our culture is all about, the bucks. Well, I think another thing that we we can't underestimate. I think it's unfair. I always think it's unfair when when people are like, oh, well, it's all about disclosure and stuff. And it's like, I think you know, people are just trying to be creative. You know, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers was essentially an allegory for the Hollywood blacklist. You know, um, you know, you, you got to remember that the '40s and '50s was a time when you know when Roswell happened that the whole UFO phenomenon really like. Like blew up people. Everyone was interested in it. You saw alien movies all over the place. You know, usually had to do with alien invasions and stuff. But like you know, it started off as as a cultural phenomenon, and then as time changed, the movies changed, the themes changed, 
and you know they got more complex. You know, we had bigger budgets, able to do more things like Alien and you know, um, trying to go off the top of my head. You know, the remake of the War of the Worlds and all of that stuff. And you know, it's I think I think underestimating the power of human creativity is entirely unfair to those who helped create these things. As someone who helps create films, nothing on that scale, but it's like you know, it's. But that, that's a, a, a lot of creativity that goes into it. And, you know, maybe, maybe you know, maybe it is influenced by people who are who are paying the budget for it. But I'd I'd like to I'd like to think that maybe it's you know it's just what it is. It's just entertainment. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see some evidence for anything. This is that. what um <laughs> that, that Academy of the Stars initiative is supposed to. One of the main focuses. Yeah, the long thing. Yeah. yeah, the Tom DeLong thing is that he wants to create a series of actual movies um, that were that are entertaining but informative to slowly you know introduce the public to this phenomenon. But at the same time, not to be skeptical. They're looking for investors. They've already—I don't know what they're up to now. Well, I'll be skeptical. They had all, yeah. They had—they raised a lot of money already, and the reason for the raising the money is is for research. So if they already have the information, they already know what they're going to make these movies about, or have a reason to want to make a movie to inform the public. Then why don't what's they make the research? It? Yeah, yeah well, just, just <laughs> yeah. make the movie. What's the research for? You know, if you already, you know, well, everybody's been researching this forever. Yeah, but they don't work together. Everybody's on the right. You know, it's like the, the ghost people. I mean, nobody's. Yeah. You know, it's it's it's. Kind of ridiculous in some ways. Well, speaking of ghosts, <coughs> we can finally move on to uh, Katie from Rancho Cucamonga, California, which actually exists. I did a book signing at the Barnes and Noble there, so yeah, it's a, it's a. I love that name, Rancho Cucamonga. So <laughs> Katie writes to us: um, Is it really true that ghosts can possess people's bodies? Not like demon possession, but can occupy them, then move on to other people's bodies? Don't ghosts do this with mediums? Um, I have heard that ghosts wait for babies to be born. Then occupy their bodies so they can live again. Uh, Who Shane, wants to start uh, this one? Y- y- have a, have fun. Have at it. <laughs> All right. Um, well, as far as like you know, the Hollywood version of a possession, like the you know the Exorcist movie, you know, I've never come across anything of that nature. I mean, I don't think anyone has. To, to, but but I'm talking where you know the uh, where there's full out like just nonsense like that like I've never run into that at all um, I've come a little close yeah see I, I haven't I think the reason is is like you worked um, you were in the seminary and you worked with priests and yeah. I think most people tend to go to priests for stuff like that even though I, my understanding of, of how all this works is, is I'm able I'll I'm able to help these people without a doubt. Um, yeah, yeah the, most priests don't know anything about this. Really. Yeah, but I think they're the go-to usually when when stuff like this occurs. And I find yeah. too in, in um, most of the possession cases that I've heard that sound credible um, have all come from families. The the person afflicted have all come from fl- families that were very religious and usually. Um, um, in a dysfunctional way, but they're they're obsessively religious, and I've seen this in all the cases that that I see. You know, I think that are legit. That's that that's a case. So I think that's a that's um, a, a common reaction to how they're going to experience uh, this entity or what they're going to allow because it's based on what they uh, believe that you know demons are going to possess you, you know, and all this other stuff. And I think a lot of the times too, it's almost allowed by them, un, you know, unconsciously because. I think they they want to be so close to God that they're actually willing to become possessed, so the hand of God will come down and save them. You know, uh, and I've I've seen that too. Um, well, I've, I've read cases where I believe that to be the case. 
But what I've, I've come across um, where people are definitely influenced by the parasitic entity that's attached to them um, definitely uh, influences their, their behavior and, and uh, can change them and make them, uh, you know, angry and, and full of rage and, and um, dangerous in a lot of cases. Um, but I've also seen that caused by extremely high electromagnetic fields in homes where people have prolonged exposure to they become the same way you know? yeah we visited the same house at several you know <clears throat> at yeah. different times uh, i'm thinking of one in uh, oh yeah near lemonster massachusetts Lemonster, yeah. yep and then i dealt with the one in bridgeport connecticut um where the uh, it, it, that electromagnetic field actually end up the house of anger you call it? yeah the, yeah yeah, yeah. The, it was a sick home and yeah um the lady was sick the whole time she was there she was on 12 meds as soon as she moved out she, she doesn't take any meds anymore she had tumors that she developed while she was there um, living in the house they were not cancers her husband developed the same uh, tumors which were cancers and took his life Um, and and I believe it was because of this home this house had just huge amounts of uh, electromagnetic fields that were it was back feeding from their grounding rod outside from a probably a faulty transformer yeah yeah. Yeah, I I hear you but um, you know so I, the, the parasitic entities I've de- definitely um, dealt with before, um, and um, h- how they influence people and their behaviors. And in my treatment for that, it's the same. Um, in in uh, you know, I actually manipulate the mechanics and, and basically get them on a better path. Get them to stop paying attention to it, stop obsessing about it, because that's what ends up happening with these people. They're always constantly thinking about it and obsessing about it, and it just constantly feeds. When you're given attention, and that's why I like to say, like, you know, if you're standing in a mall sometime and all of a sudden it's like you feel like someone's looking at you, you look over. Oh, we uh, take actually, a break. We're, yeah, we're, uh, we're on a roll here, but we also have our break. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240, broadcasting for the 70th year in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our special guest co host, Shane Searway, and these great questions from listeners. Stick with us. It's your business. The health of our economy, the strength of our businesses affects every individual, every family. I'm Frank Prisons. Each Thursday, we'll visit with leaders to discuss important business and economic issues. Join me Thursdays at 4 p.m. on WOON. It's your business because it is. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. After a quick break, we have a number of charities our show has adopted. We'll talk about that during our announcement section. But in the meantime, let's get back to um, dealing with our question from uh, is it Katie, Katie yeah, in Katie. Rancho Cucamonga, California. Yeah. And <clears throat> Shane, I'm sorry to have interrupted. Uh, please continue your thoughts. Um, what was I saying? We're well, talking about the House of Anger and the yeah the, the electromagnetic fields that uh, brought about ill health. Right. Yeah. And um. But yeah, it definitely had an influence on on the people living there, also making them sick and everything. Um, and but I think I ventured out of that one. I was heading towards somewhere else. But um, but yeah, the the, um, the parasites definitely um, I've seen them in, influence people and everything. But uh, as far as like you know the like the movies of a possession, I've never dealt with yeah. anything like that because, like I said, t- people tend to. Most of the time, come from a really religious home, um, which I think when they 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 practice it kind of in a dysfunctional way or for the wrong reasons, you know, because they they might have screwed their life up so bad or whatever, and they they need God to fix everything for them. That's the wrong reason to practice religion, yeah. or they they get so obsessed with their religion that um, they they want 
they want to be closer to God, and what better way is than to become possessed? And I think they actually allow this to happen. Um, and <clears throat> but um, so I think a lot of times people, because they're super religious, end up going to their priest, and that's why I don't think I've you know been um, asked to to deal with those cases, although I could easily. Yeah. So. Well, I, I have to agree with you, Shane, uh, largely on that. Um, <clears throat> I have seen some some wild cases, not nothing like the Hollywood zaniness that, that yeah. comes from some of these films. But uh, I remember one case uh, at Augsburg State Hospital in New York uh, many years ago in, in the 70s when I was in the seminary. I had a very sympathetic faculty in the second seminary I graduated from. Uh, I was actually working with the diocesan exorcists and things of this kind, uh, obviously on the sly. Um, and they, they even kind of liked Ed Lorraine Warren, who came up and spoke at the seminary uh, to the students and all this. But uh, there was one case where uh, one of the attendants and myself had to keep the the, the uh, subject f- from floating out of the chair. I mean, she kept, and we had to keep pushing her back down. Now, now that, something like that happened in the Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 74, which Bill Hall and I were talking about in Danbury in our program yesterday. Uh, it was pretty much Bill's program, but I was there to kind of lend mm-hmm. support as as an eyewitness. And uh, but but uh, we never had the vomiting and people's heads turning around all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, so this gets to, uh, back to Katie's question, kind of what is the nature of possession? I think we have to talk about that before we can answer her question. In, in my opinion, and I I was never these were never comfortable situations in the first place. But I never and, and possession I should say exorcism was always a very very last resort. And there had to be certain corroborative evidence that this person was not mentally ill. You know, hence the presence at the state hospital, which was not entirely psychiatric, but there was a large portion of it dedicated to that. And <clears throat> these were people, all from Catholic homes. Uh, and at the time, uh, the church was liberalizing, which there were, there were good aspects of that, there were bad aspects of that, in my opinion. But <clears throat> there was a spirituality that was being introduced that I thought I think was much more positive than it was in the church I grew up in, <clears throat> because you had a lot of um, faith based on fear. And that's something I found in the Bridgeport House, too, <clears throat> which was before the exorcisms I worked on, mm-hmm. at least uh, most of them, anyway. And uh, the family was uh, very uh, frightened. Uh, approach to God was with fear rather than love. Uh, you know, don't you do this and you'll go to hell. And you know, so, you, you know, and then, yeah, I suppose... Uh, yeah, I just think it was very negative. And so you're absolutely correct, I think, in those situations. So, but I think what was actually happening during the possessions, I didn't get the feeling that what they said was happening was happening. I did not get the feeling that there was a minion of Satan or any number of them in the body of this person taking over their personality and making them do things. And of course, you know, I, I kept my opinion to myself because I was like, you know, a, a, Seminary, young seminarian in my early 20s, what did I know, right? But I just didn't feel right. Looking back on it, I think what's happened, uh, what's really happening is that you've got, and looking at it with our multiverse point of view, you've got many versions of yourself in, in, in any possible form you can be. That's good physics, according to some physicists. All possibilities are out there. So at some point, in uh, the multiverse, in some world, somewhere, with uh, different laws of physics, whatever, di- different histories, different versions of you, um, you are the parasite that's doing the possessing, and that parasite is you. Because these parasites, in our opinion, are very, very aware of the multiversal, cre- uh, multiversal creation, because that's how they, they eat. 
they go from different worlds in order to eat. This, this is pretty wild stuff, but I think it's it's a lot less wild sometimes than the idea of, of spirits and all this business and the two-dimensional attitude we take. And I think that, <clears throat> as often happens with a congenial human being you meet as a friend, I think with the basis of the friendship and the basis of, of, of love, even between a man and a woman or whatever, you can you've discovered a place where you are one in the multiverse. I think the same thing can happen in a negative way, and if it's taken to its conclusion, you can end up with what we call possession. I think you're kind of possessing each other. And I think you're absolutely right, Shane, that you have to uh, agree, tacitly agree to let this happen. Mm-hmm. I've seen people who have been in this situation who, who like the attention they get. They, uh, they are fascinated by the phenomena that may or may not occur, and it's, uh, it's a very ego-feeding situation sometimes. And that, that's a strong kind of aphrodisiac, as it were. Yeah, like the ones I, I dealt with, like I never, like when I said like the movies, but I've dealt with plenty of cases where people would act like somebody else and they'd be angry and, and, and yeah. like a totally different person. Different voices. Uh, yeah. The uh, so dissociative I, identity disorder, the, it, as it's known in psychology. Yeah, but I have dealt with that. I just said nothing like the movies, you know, how they showed that. And yeah. what I did that there was uh, so, totally different than what most people, they say, oh, you have to get their name and get the demon's name and, and yeah, they, exactly. they, they communicate with it and they they're constantly That's talking true. They to, try to get the name. Yeah. And what I do, what, and it's worked every time, is when they communicated with me through that angry person or whatever, the, through the parasite, it was with the parasite talking to me or whatever, I would ignore it. I would not acknowledge the person whatsoever. I'd even turn my back on it until they would start talking normal again. And slowly, little by little, they, they were the regular person more often. And then I could treat that person. But I would never acknowledge that 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 bad side or that when it changed into whatever yeah. would never acknowledge it and then it slowly just disappeared yeah no exactly it's it's um that's pretty much the approach that i thought they should have been taking mm. whereas instead of uh, of, of acting like being in, in a command authority situation which just gives it more strength and attention yeah. i thought uh they do that and of course the who suffers but the victim right you know, that's more. what i was saying before break too that's what that's where i was i was like you know if you're standing in a mall or in a store sometime and you're like you, look, you you feel like someone's looking at you. You look over and someone's looking at you. So you give something attention. You're giving it energy, and and that's that's what's happening. Absolutely. So uh, as a result, uh, and and not to mention that they they would always try to get the name of the quote unquote demon. And I said, first of all, I I, I don't trust I trust demons even less than I trust the government. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're going to believe it when it says. And th- there are entities I know. I've run into them more than once uh, during that voodoo ceremony in Haiti. In 1984, I know it was one of the it was one of the same ones we were dealing with in uh, Augsburg, New York, in the 1970s. Not quite ten years before, maybe eight years before. I knew it was the same one because mm-hmm. they have a feeling of presence, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it was so. I mean, I think that, that they um, kind of play you like a fiddle. I think uh, very often in these exorcism situations. And I think the nature is that there is an identity that has to be broken, which is done so by non-recognition and getting the person to reject it, if mm-hmm. you can do that, and you yourself being the conduit for that, which is, I think, what you do, yeah. and maybe in different terms. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, that's essentially what it is. But as far as uh, actually being inside your body, uh, that there may be a whole new understanding of this if you look at the multiversal situation. You're already one with yourselves, uh, different aspects of yourself, and we're all one with each other in real ways. And so, just being inside a body doesn't really isn't really good enough. That's not, I don't think, what what it's about. There is an old tradition 
in the several cultures that these things, as in a medium, it'll go into your body and the, the medium will take on the uh, uh, voice and the personality of the dead person, okay? And if the person was dead, they wouldn't be doing anything, never mind taking over medium. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's the nature of death is the absence of life. I don't think that exists either. What I think is the only thing in the multiverse that can exist is death. So there, there we have it. I think that that's essentially um, the same thing a medium does is connect with where they are, that person, in some place uh, where they're not dead and, and uh, they don't know any other way to explain it. So it's the spirit of the dead person. It's as simple as that. And I think the same thing happens in possession, except that the, 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 the equilibrium is totally off and uh, you've got a lot of um, negativity being fed by the attention it's getting. So uh, as far as and then moving from one body to another or, or waiting, I've actually heard the story that, that uh, spirits, which of course are impossible under the laws of physics in, this, in the classical sense in our world, mm. will wait in delivery rooms. Uh, where babies are being born and w- will go into the body of the baby and become, you know, I mean, I've seen no evidence for that. I think it's it's a handy explanation for when the, you have the kid from hell, you know, in, in your family. <laughs> uh, but I just don't think that's it. And it's also one explanation for reincarnation experiences, mm. uh, particularly in India. People will say, well, you know, okay, you die and uh, you're reincarnated sometimes. Not, they don't all believe this, but some do, uh, that you, you're wandering around until you find a baby and then you go in and that's your reincarnated form. Um, I think that that's sort of the, the, the uh, poor man's explanation for reincarnation, uh, which is not possible in the classic sense anyway, because there is no past, there is no future, it's right. all simultaneous, according to Einstein. So a windy explanation for something relatively short, but I think that uh, maybe uh, Katie um, has asked a good question, maybe, maybe asked it in the wrong way. Very good question. All right. All right. Well, okay, so moving let's, on. Uh, all right, moving on here. Got, um, I'm different. sure we'll probably dedicate the rest of the show to this, but Ben, I'll leave it to you. This is from Michelle, and Michelle does not say where she is from, and it came through Shane. This this is the question that came to you? Oh. Okay. Oh, no, it was, um, I don't know how to say her name, but she's from, uh, the the question that I had, um, is the one with, in the opening about the knocks on the door? Uh, yeah, I believe that was, yeah, part of it, oh, chiropractic. No, no, this was a girl from uh, Philippines. Oh, okay, well, whoever this is, Ben will start. Well, Michelle, who has a very pronounceable name, uh, writes to us. Hi, Paul, <laughs> Ben, and Shane. Uh, I'm so I'm so happy that I found your archive show. Thanks for sharing them. Um, as I've stated before, I am a courier with a set route and sit in my car for about five hours a day. Uh, last week, I went to the 2008 shows, and each shift, I listened to one or more shows. On below. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Michelle. This is a different email. Uh, dear, okay. Okay. So my chiropractor is open-minded and likes when I share my metaphysical topics. Uh, well, one time I had uh, read a bunch of books on spirit release therapy and spirit attachment therapy. And he told me an amazing story. Uh, and here's a list of books and items I've read over the years. He gives a list of books and items. Uh, I was sharing one of them. I was sharing one of their cases uh, when he stopped me and said, this stuff is absolutely real. He proceeded to tell me that one day, towards the end of the day, he was working with a client and doing about four or five different techniques. Um, important for you guys, and uh, the reason I'm sharing this is that uh, one of those techniques is was a tuning fork. Now, his wife assists him, and she had uh, just left the treatment room to answer the phone uh, or something, and she was gone for less than a minute. Well, in that time, he said mid-treatment, he released something um, inside this woman, and it came out of her body and entered him through his nostrils. Not sure if uh, that is important. Uh, I feel like it is. Runs right into Katie's question. Right. 
the room instantly became hot and the smell was pungent. Uh, his wife uh, came back into the room and it was like she hit a wall of uh, heat and stink. The smell completely permeated his practice. Um, he said it was awful. He was very uncomfortable and pale and uh, when he uh, recounted this to me, uh, so I knew he was not making it up, I mean, a, I mean, a story like that is not something you tell your clients to drum up business. Uh, he stated that he immediately stopped treatment um, uh, and closed up the clinic and went to see a friend who knows about this stuff, quote-unquote, were his exact words. Uh, he was not someone who, who uh, dabbled in such things. And when he walked into the practice of his friend, his friend took a step backwards because he could, quote, see, unquote, the thing in him. Uh, he was so uncomfortable at this point in the story that he didn't want to talk anymore about it. And he said this friend got rid of it. I'm not sure um, what occurred to remove it, but my chiropractor said firmly he will never do those four or five techniques at the same time ever again. Okay, why, why don't we stop there? Now, Shane, this is your bailiwick. Why don't you... I'm sure you've considered this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I actually had a photo um, from somebody that we met in um, Pennsylvania uh, the first trip. Uh, or maybe the second trip. I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. But um, where they actually went to somebody to have something, an attachment removed from them, and they used... Um, the, you know the big glass bowls or whatever, and, and they rub around the edges, and it makes a, a frequency sound yeah, of the pitch. Yeah. And then they, the picture was taken not for any other reason, but they um, took the photo, and there was a black um, cloud. You said nostril coming out of the nose, and it was a clear photo. I mean, it was definitely not faked. Um, but you know, with the with the tuning fork and all that, <clears throat> I think. Uh, Frequency has a lot to do with these parasites and, and what how they are attracted to us um, through emotional frequencies and stuff. Like I firmly believe that, um, and that's also with our thoughts and, and things like that. It's all to I, I really believe it's all frequency. So manipulating you know or, or sending out certain frequencies um, just may well you know have an effect on on uh, on it. But um, but. You know, I'm not sure. I've, I've never been there when when something like that was done, but I, I do know frequency has a lot to do with everything. That I, that really dovetails with last week's show. We had Dr. Melvin Willen from England on, and he is uh, a has two doctoral degrees. I couldn't afford one, and he's a musicologist, a paramusicologist, and that's what really attracted our attention. Of what is paramusicology? You know. And one of the things that came up, and we had uh, co-hosting last week was Laurie Greer, who was our casting producer, but also has a background in music education and behavioral science. And she asked some great questions uh, about this, too. One thing that came up in the discussion, many things did, and we invite people to look at at the uh, archive page on our show uh, website, BehindTheParanormal.com. The show is available free for anybody to listen. Uh, was the notion that uh, there's an old tradition uh, all over the world, really, that bells, uh, and this is why they were in churches, will will repel demons, you know. And so, when you have happy occasions, royal weddings or any wedding, you know, the bells are ringing to beat the band and mm-hmm. this sort of thing. And um, that's really the, the basic um, archetypal reason is that this, I guess, the frequency of the bells is uh, relevant to scaring demons. When I have gone into, we, we haven't done this together yet, Ben, but in, in uh, days of yore, when I go into homes uh, that had negative entities there, uh, you, you, you do uh, work to make sure that, that that's what it really is first. 
uh, I would always bring wind chimes, little wind chimes. And especially if there were children in the home who were frightened, and, and many times there were, I'd give them the wind chimes, and we'd walk together into some of the rooms, and, and things would ease up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there would be, it's almost like the bell thing, uh, repelling the demons, or as we would call parasites, and it uh, does have a, a calming effect on the whole atmosphere. So uh, I think that may be something that uh, they're, they're discovered as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know it. Frequency definitely has a lot to do with these um, parasites and how they're, like I said, how they're attracted to us and how they um, um, how they stay with us or whatever. And I, I like to tell people, you know, I we need to elevate your um, emotional frequency. So we break the connection. It's like, and I try to help them kind of like get on board with it. It's, it's kind of like a two-way radio. They got to be on the same frequency, um, basically, you know. Um, but you know, to manipulate it, so through things like this, there's also a gentleman um, that I, I know. I, I introduce you to him, um, but who creates frequencies for people for different healing purposes and also spiritual things. Oh yes, and, um, and he makes a living at it. Um, and very smart guy too. Uh, um, but um, also, I don't know. I'm light on the details, but over, I think it's in India, there's a structure, it's a, like a big castle or whatever, where every column is, is, you know, it's like a drum or, or like you, they hit it and it makes different frequencies on each single one of them. And it, oh, I believe that's the golden temple at Amritsar. It's the center of the Sikh religion. Yeah, I think, yeah, I yeah, think so. Yeah. But that was for all for a spiritual purpose too, sure, right? Yeah. Sure, Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, It's the center of the Sikh religion. And nobody really knows how it's built. Yeah, it's very, very, very old. So, um, well, Ben, this is uh, your bailiwick sound as well. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I know that, you know, in, in, in the study of psychoacoustics, that certain sounds can make you make you hear and feel certain things. Well, not certain sounds, but certain frequencies can make you hear 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 certain things and feel certain things. You know, like low, like low frequencies and stuff can can mess with your your brain waves and all. Yeah, all the that. whole infrasonics thing. Yeah, they're called the yeah. fear fear wave or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To to the best of my to the best of my knowledge, I've I've really been wanting to study more about it because it's it's so fascinating how how sound works on the brain and I, I can imagine the the environment as well. You know, it's like like your experiments you did well in uh, what was it college where um, with um, the plants and music. And oh, how, yeah, how the yeah. plants reacted to classical music as opposed to what was it rock or something? <laughs> yeah, they, they really like Mozart, uh, but uh, boy, a hard rock. They gosh, they practically died. Well, even water too. When they crystallize it, when they freeze it, play different types of music. Yes, freezes in totally different ways. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. They wanted to prove it had a memory. Yeah, so so this hmm. frequency thing really is relevant. Now, um, just also get to uh, I guess that that kind of gets into Michelle's question as well. Uh, about the frequencies and the sound, uh, how would we relate it to this uh, apparent phenomena? And I'm thinking of the uh, the old time spiritualist phenomena of the uh, ectoplasm, as they would call it, coming in on people's noses and all this business. And because you know most of the photographs I've seen are obviously faked, but wh- how would this frequencies thing be relevant to uh, what exactly do you think was going on with this chiropractor, as far as uh, these things coming in and the other chiropractor seeing? This thing that was on, and, and now, now we've all seen entities attached, to, uh, parasites attached to people. Yeah, but never felt through a physical means. Never through the nose, at least. Yeah, you know, uh, you paid through the nose maybe to hear them uh, speak. <laughs> but so, uh, how uh-huh. would you explain, or is this being, is this a, an experience the chiropractor might have been misinterpreting? 
You know, hmm. I mean, I think, like, like we always say that it's all about perception. Like, you know, how you perceive what's happening can often, um, you know, dictate how the experience turns out. You know, like one man's UFO could be be another ghost hunter's, like you know, orb, that that kind of thing. And I think the the really the really physical altercation or well the physical exchange probably happened, but you know through the nose, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I can't I can't say the guy didn't have an actual experience. I mean, he definitely experienced something, but how it was how it might have been interpreted might be different if it was one of us. Dealing, dealing as as the chiropractor, you know what I'm trying yes, to say. Yes, exactly. Uh, however, I think we should uh, qualify all this by saying that uh, a certain amount. Of, if if the paranormal work should make us anything, it's it's humble. Mm. But you don't see a lot of that in this field, unfortunately. So I wonder really what's going on with some of these people. And I think uh, the first thing we always say is maybe we're wrong. Maybe the, these are spirits somehow that can come in and out of people's bodies. And all this. Yeah. We don't think so, but maybe we're wrong. And we have to be honest enough to admit that at all at all points. I've just never experienced anything like that. Nor, nor have I. Nor, nor have I really, years. Yeah, nor have I ever really heard anything about that before until this point. Well, I've heard of it, but, you know, again, you wonder about the interpretation. Uh, you yeah. Th- you know, I think all of us have seen just about everything at this point. Uh, so I, I don't know. So, but, but again, who knows? Uh, as far as these entities being attached to people, uh, I've looked out into audiences, and I've known you, you can just feel it. That, that's how I do it anyway. Other people can see it that there are parasites attached to these people. I, I remember one time I was speaking in San Diego. This is, goes back quite a few years, and a relatively large audience. But there was a woman in the back uh, who I, I just kept being drawn to her. I mean, it wasn't any kind of attraction. I mean, just uh, th- there was something wrong out there and she came up to me at the end uh and said uh, you know i i feel like I, we have a pro-. i said well yeah well i i noticed you all the way through and i think you have some parasites uh, who are interacting here in this situation she said well yeah well, my family has had that uh, for generations and which of course matches up with the idea that these parasites can uh, become attached to families and f- literally and for lack of a better term farm them or cultivate them for their energy for generations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, we all know that, that uh, the psychic abilities, uh, for lack of a better term, will follow uh, the family lines. Very often, some cases from mother to daughter, sometimes from father to son, father to daughter, mother to son, and it, it depends on the family. And these people, uh, the, the gypsies, particularly the, the Roma people, particularly believe this uh, quite fervently, and uh, it seems to work. And so I think that uh, in, in the case of this woman, was an Italian family from Southern California, and they, uh, she, as far back as she knew, great great grandmother uh, in Italy, that this had come come forward in their family, and uh, they were all being driven crazy. But they had these gifts, but it was at the cost of being food to uh, one or more of these parasites. There were three that I could feel attached to her, and you know. I've been on TV shows with people, with with mediums and stuff, and I, I just I, you don't just come out. Hey, you got three parasites attached to <laughs> you, but uh, you can just feel it. So, um, regardless of the form and interpretation this takes, I think there there it is. Well, I, I think that's probably all. Unless you have a very quick comment, anybody, uh, we'll move on to our announcements. Okay. Okay. To the announcements away. So last Tuesday, October seventeenth, uh, we presented right here on Owen twelve forty. Uh, in our in our listening area with an updated program on Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, with the Blackstone Public Library in Blackstone, Massachusetts, and it was a full house. And we thank the friends of the library, along with uh, Director uh, Lisa Cheever, 
uh, for a great evening and hope to do more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they were really excited, wanted to have us back. Great crowd, and most of whom might may be listening because they were they live in our listening mm-hmm. area. But anyway, yesterday uh, I was back at the Danbury Library in Connecticut, as I mentioned, uh, this time with author William J. Hall for a program about Bill's 2014 book, The World's Most Haunted House, about the famous Bridgeport poltergeist of 1974, to which I'm one of the few surviving eyewitnesses. It was a great turnout, including a Bridgeport police officer off-duty who had known several of the officers involved in the case, whom I'd known. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Many thanks to Aurelio Maraca and the staff at the library for another great event. Uh, also to, to Ben's uh, older brother Jonathan for helping out, and to our casting producer Laurie Greer for for helping out as well. It was a uh, uh, we had a lot of fun uh, at the event. And don't forget, we sell and autograph our books at all of these events, of course, including our latest uh, released in July, Behind the Paranormal Two: Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard Of. Also available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you can't get to one of our events and you'd still like an autographed copy of any of our books, you can get them at the show's website. BehindTheParanormal.com And our 2016 book, the one before this one Ben mentioned, uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores. And if they don't have it, they can get it. It's also available at all our forthcoming events, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online suspects. And again, you can get an autographed pop- copy at BehindTheParanormal.com. So on Saturday, October 28th at 1 p.m., we'll be uh, speaking at the Portsmouth Public Library in New Hampshire. Now, the subject is, what's really behind the paranormal in New Hampshire and beyond? And that begins at 1 p.m. Uh, after the show on Sunday, November 5th, Ben and I will Skype in to do a brief program during the fourth annual Treasure Coast Parayunity Conference in Felsmere, Florida. And then on Saturday, November 18th, my dad and I will do a charity event at the uh, Cottage by the Bay in Dover, New Hampshire, to benefit the uh, Miss Portsmouth Area Scholarship Program. And that's uh, from 5 to 8 p.m. Tickets are $20 per person. And you, uh, you will get a buffet dinner along with a fine little dinner dinner speech from us. <laughs> Something for like tickets that. and registration for any of these events, visit BehindTheParanormal.com, then scroll down for the banner links to the events you're interested in. Now, Shane, uh, w- w- let's pause here. What are you working on? Where can people find out more about you? Where can people see you? Uh, TrueGhost.com is my website. TrueGhost.com. Um, I'll be speaking at the on the 25th, uh, speaking at the, the what's, uh, sorry, L- Lawrence Library in Pepperell, Mass. Oh, nice. Um, I'll also be doing a couple radio shows. I'll be posting those on my on my uh, Facebook. How's the book coming? Yeah. Still working on it. Yeah, well, uh, it's a work know. in progress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, life is busy right now. All of us are works in progress. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So uh, anyway, uh, meanwhile, uh, find out more about the show, uh, our many cases over the years, public appearances, etc. At behindtheparanormal.com, where you'll find over 720, probably more now, free recorded shows and podcasts from both ON 1240 and our four and a half year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And don't forget about our YouTube channel, which once this this uh, spooky time of year uh, lulls, we'll, we'll be able to start making more content for you. Uh, that is Behind the Paranormal Case Files on YouTube, and uh, we will be expanding it incredibly soon. Yes. Uh, also, I wrote a bunch of other books uh, when Ben was uh, just a wee lad and did not co-author with me, and you can find those at Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, or again, BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, also on our websites, you'll find direct links to some of the charities that I hinted about earlier. That includes USA Cares. Uh, dot org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and Youth Mentoring Connection uh, in Los Angeles. A great, great charity. So uh, next Sunday, what do we got, Shane? 
Uh, next Sunday, October 29th, Paul and Ben will welcome British author John Matthews for a look at the strange case of Spring-Heeled Jack. Well, that's Ooh. about it then. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Shane Stairway. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.